podcast may contain some explicit language, so it may not be suitable for our little listeners under the age of 13. Welcome to episode two of Shit Gets Real. I'm Selena Stamm. I'm Tony Hedstrom. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about this market. Now, it also, <laughs> not just the market, we're going to talk a little bit about our pet, pet peeves, peeves yeah. personal pet peeves yeah. that aren't necessarily real estate related, Right. but that's going to bring us around to pet peeves with buyers, sometimes that, with their questions. And that their, can trickle into real estate. Yes. 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 And then we can talk about the market. Okay. But then... The most important part of this podcast is going to be us telling you some great contract strategies. Yes, little little tricks of the trade to get your offer accepted or hopefully accepted. Well, at least consider. Yes, there you go. Consider. Yeah. I have a couple. Oh, I can't wait. My first one is hair in the shower. Mm. You know, when you wash your hair and the hair is on your body. Did you see that meme I shared uh, on Facebook? And it was like when your husband pulls out your hair and it's like this little gremlin looking thing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like I could smell that meme. You know, because like shower hair is so gross. Shower hair is gross. And the other thing for me is tangled hangers. Now, you can give me a pile of tangled Christmas lights and I can unscramble them like nobody's business. But not hangers? You give me five (laughs) tangled hangers and I lose my shit. Christmas this year, (laughs) tangled hangers. (laughs) What about you? So I have a few, actually more than a few, because you guys know I have these little quirks. But pet peeves. So I would say when I'm walking up to my doorway and mulch or shell or rocks or just from the rain, I, that stuff bugs me. It's in the sidewalk. It's the wind takes it, you know, because I like to walk up to my door and it's all nice and clean and looks manicured. And I know it's stupid, <laughs> but then I go in my backyard and the same thing. There's leaves everywhere. Those little things bug me. You know how weird I am. All right. right. Give us a more exciting one. Oh, a more exciting <laughs> one. Pet peeves. Um, I have to, like, go through my daily life because I complain a lot. You do. I know. <laughs> I complain a lot. Um, so there's a lot. Um, people that drive 50 in the fast lane. Yes. That makes me want to drive in front of them and slam on my brakes and teach them a lesson because <laughs> get out of the fast lane. Yeah, That's right. probably my biggest one. Okay, okay. Um... Or, or people that don't, when the light turns green, they wait a good five seconds before they actually start going. You know why? To look, they're texting. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, they, they don't know what the hell's going on. Actually, that's funny because yesterday when I was going I-75 South on the way home, I saw a lady, I don't even know how she was holding on to the wheel, and she was had her phone right in front of her face and just texting and Doing whatever she was doing. Google it's called knee driving. Yeah, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. But you could tell because she was going really slow. Yeah. That's a giveaway. So. Well, you know, it's what it's kind of like uh, in real estate, you know, and today's Groundhog Day, which oh. plays really well into this topic. Great. Because um, some of the things that we 
are told by buyers often and we have to address often make us feel like we're in the groundhog day yep. every day. Yep. Right. Well, we've always said that. So my favorite one, and this is important for veterans because we deal with a lot of veterans, you know, um, we deal with all kinds of buyers, but primarily veterans, yeah. veterans, right? And if they're not using a local lender, it's the things that they get told that are my pet peeve. Yeah, that's true. We, we they'll say, well, the lender told me this and we're like, hmm, that's really not true. Yeah. And it's a false sense of hope for them right right and then we're, we're the ones that come in and have to kind of you feel like you're crushing their dreams and but well most of the time they don't they don't believe us that's true that's true i think sometimes the perception is um if you're dealing with a lender and they give you that information like in this example what we're talking about is that sellers will pay your closing costs right yep or they have an idea that because they're a veteran and they don't have a down payment, they also don't have any closing costs. Yeah, like they don't have to bring anything to the table, and that's not true. They're, the the conversation with the lender, I feel, should be, okay, you have zero down payment, but uh, closing costs are loan, your fees associated with your loan, Mr. Buyer. Mm-hmm. But there can sometimes be that sense of, I shouldn't have to pay anything, so even though these really are my fees that I should rightfully pay, I'm not going to. Yeah. Because the lender said, oh, all your closing costs will be fake. Your, your realtor will do that for you. Yeah, yeah. And um, it can get hard. You know, in our market, well, in real estate in general, yeah. it's our job, obviously, to get our buyers the best deal. Sure. The most concessions and things like that. But, you know, the ability to do that is definitely manipulated by the, the sense of the market at the time. That's right. right? You know, we just certainly can't be competitive. A buyer can't be competitive if we're asking for those concessions. No, not today. A couple years ago, yeah, we were seeing, you know, houses that were on the market for a little bit, 30, 40, 50 days. And yeah. It's kind of easy to get those, you know, the seller is willing to pay that. But now when you are on the market for 15 hours, you have seven offers. Yeah. The likelihood of you getting closing costs paid is pretty minimal. You know, and I was looking at uh, just some market statistics and I don't know if people are familiar with um, the term months of inventory, mm-hmm. right? So basically what that means is if not one single new house came on the market, it would take X months to be sold out, yeah. right? And I think typically that this somewhere, you know, I think three months is considered low mm-hmm. um, in a normal market. I think maybe four to six months of inventory is pretty much what we have. And right now we are down below two months of inventory. I mean, for the first time in my career, a couple decades, mm-hmm. I've never ever been in a situation where I could even imagine that houses could be sold out. In two months, yeah. Right. Like, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that because think about how hard as a buyer's agent they're working. And you, you I mean, we're out there with them mm-hmm. and it's hard. You know, I was um, I have to do a call out to Bigger Pockets, another podcast. I listened to one of their uh, episodes recently and, you know, it was a, an investor, a real estate investor, who was talking about how it was pretty much a waste of time to even go after homes on the MLS that 
we're one, two, three, four days on the market, yeah. you know. Investors have to um, be mindful of that profit margin, and it's just too competitive, mm -hmm. you know. There's there's not enough houses for the people who have to have the houses, mm -hmm. you know, people who have to move because of jobs or whatever else, you know, is their right. reason. But if a home is new on the market in this market, you cannot get a deal. No, the 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 um, the idea. I've had a couple buyers lately that are saying, "Well, you just never know." Let's offer twenty five thousand less on this beautiful renovated home that we literally had to stand in line to get into because there was other people there saying, "Let's offer about twenty five less because you never know." Yeah, I mean, no, but we do know. We do know, and <laughs> they <laughs> they don't believe you for some reason because their brother, sisters father well brother sister that'd be their father right <laughs> anyways you get what i'm saying um it happened for them but in 96 yeah right uh -huh. and that's the i think for me primarily working with buyers that's the hurdle that we have to get over on a daily basis and it takes the buyers losing several houses before they can actually believe you yeah and if they truly don't believe you they just go off with another agent and that's okay mm -hmm. groundhog day yeah yeah but um in that thought you know i was pet peeves right so that's another pet peeve i think you and i share is when someone says my uncle brother cousin mm -hmm. whoever is a builder is a realtor yeah whatever so my kids are home buying age they live in texas and i would never want them to just say my mom's a realtor. Yeah. What I would like is to have a conversation with that realtor. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know anything about that central Texas market. That's right. And, you know, anything I say to my kids is, is kind of worthless in mm -hmm. a sense because you have to know the market to formulate um, every aspect of the purchase, you know, the uh, how to write an offer, mm -hmm. you know, how to formulate your loan, how to do all those things are really uh, location-based. Sure. Right? So when people do come to us with these false sense of <clears throat> knowledge, actually, like, you know, I know this, this, and this, and this, That's but right. it's just not correct for this market. Right. And, and even market within your own state, it'd be like us going down to, you know, the keys. We don't necessarily know that market. It's, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's where they, they have a difference of my mom's a, a agent. The, my brother's a builder. Those are perfect examples of what I've recently gone through. And there, you, you, there's, there's a point where you're just like, I'm almost insulted because I'm pretty honest. I'm one of the most honest. We're, I feel like our team is honest and mm -hmm. we don't blow smoke and we don't bullshit around things because it's a waste of our time yeah. to do so. So for me to, to lie to somebody, it doesn't, it's not worth it. Right. And right. for somebody to not call me a liar, but call me a liar at the same time, they're just not believe what I'm saying because they Googled it or they called their brother who's a builder or whoever. It, it's frustrating and a, a little insulting, which, you know, that could be the trust factor well unfortunately i think agents who are knowledgeable competent honest um might likely lose buyers because yeah. of that you know mm -hmm. but and, and the sad part is is that in the end that buyer is going to learn that lesson eventually yeah you mm -hmm. know and i you know we try to help them through it we try to teach them but yeah you know sometimes it just doesn't work out and they have to learn the hard way yep yep but you know, it's funny because 
I, another pet peeve came up in my head when um, when we were talking about buyers, and one of my pet peeves is somebody texting me at 11 o'clock at night, calling me at 10.30, expecting me to have the answer because title issue or a lender issue, and, and they're all in bed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just an idiot that answered my phone or responded to a text, right? And then it opens up that door, and I, if my pet peeve is not having the sense of um, respect for my time. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I learned a good lesson. So I'm going to shout out to Leslie Sibbett, who was my Keller Williams yeah. agent when I came to Florida. And I remember doing that to her. I was the worst buyer ever. Mm-hmm. I think real estate agents Can are, you the imagine? are the worst buyers. Not me, I'm the best. But I called her and she said, Tony, it, it's, it was either evening on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. And she said, <laughs> time out. <laughs> Selena just took a sip of our peanut butter whiskey. And... Uh, I'm picking her up off the floor. (laughs) Anyway, Leslie said, Tony, there is nothing I can do about this right now. Yeah. The title company is closed. The lender is closed. Please call me on Monday. Being a real estate agent at the time, I had been a real estate agent for about 10 years, a pretty high volume one from Texas, right? So I knew the deal. Yeah. And uh, all that shit flew out the window when I was the buyer, right? Yeah. You get in this kind of mode or whatever. Um, But she taught me that lesson. Mm -hmm. And, you know, pretty much that's my stance with my clients. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I um, probably... Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's seven years ago now. I put my phone on silent at seven o'clock at night. So unless you're in my favorites list, my phone is quiet. And that's that's something I have got to do because it will it consumes me. And then I get irritated mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh, why, why are you doing that? Well, I should just do that. Yeah. I should really just have my favorites and then silent for everything else. You know, and I know some really good agents who are totally opposed to that idea, yeah, right? Yeah. But for me, it works because mm-hmm. the minute that I'm in a relationship with a client, mm-hmm. you set those boundaries. Yeah they actually will respect them. And if you don't set the boundaries, that's when they take advantage. And I think that's probably my issue a lot of times is they'll call me and they're like, I'm sorry, I know it's like, I'm like, yeah, no worries. And I shouldn't do that. Even though I really like them and we have a really good relationship, I just still shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you might have had a whole bottle of wine and no tell them what you'll say. <laughs> or a very good IPA. It could be. You never know. Uh, but yeah, so with buyers, you know, the relationships are valued and cherished. And some of my best friends are past clients. Yeah. You know, um, so not to talk negatively about buyers no, in general. No. You know, it's just that whole Groundhog Day concept mixed with the pet peeves. You know, we have to teach the same lessons over and over and over again. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, and we, I think you and I are a lot, we're teachers in a sense. That's, that's one of the things we like. Yeah. It's usually the first conversation that we have. And I usually like to ask questions to see what they've been told prior to connecting with me. And then I kind of say, okay, well, let's talk about here in this market and what we're seeing what I'm seeing, blah, blah, blah. And that seems to help because they'll, and I, it's the way that I put it instead of like, it's delicious. Instead, Tony just had the whiskey now. <laughs> instead of just saying, oh no, you can't do that. I have to, you explain it. And cause people don't want to hear no, Yeah. but just like, we don't like hearing no. I 
to be a listing agent mostly last year. Mm -hmm. That was nice. You killed it. You did amazing. And especially in this market, poor buyer's agents. So you're talking about me now. Yeah. <laughs> because I was riding around like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> being a listing agent is not easy, but no. in a seller's market like this, yeah. it's a lot better than being the buyer's yeah. agent. But let me tell you, so um, on the listings that I had, always had multiple offers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to talk as the listing agent and you can talk as the buyer's agent okay. in regard to our experiences and how to write a competitive offer. Okay. Right. If you're the buyer's agent. Uh -huh. So as a listing agent, you know, I'd get these offers and they would be above asking price. Right. Now, in this market, what's happening with pricing is agents and appraiser, you know, appraisals will ultimately push the values up. Yeah. It's directly impacted by builders, mm -hmm. actually, um, and they have price increases every so many days, right. which is a whole nother topic. Yeah, we that's talk another about. one. Um, but you know, we're pricing these properties at, at top market value. So when I get multiple offers and they're offering more than list price, but they make their contract contingent upon an appraisal, that extra amount they're offering me means absolutely nothing. nothing. That's right. Right? So for example, house is listed for 300,000. I'm hopeful that it'll appraise for 300,000. Multiple offer situation, I get an FHA buyer who's offering 315. Contracts automatically contingent upon an appraisal. Mm -hmm. Well, I know it's not gonna appraise for 315. Right. So you, that's just paper, it's just mm -hmm. pen on paper. It's not real money, Right. right? The other thing that I noticed a lot last year, which became very popular, was the escalation clause. Yes, I use that. So agents would submit an escalation clause with their offer that says, I will pay you X amount above your highest offer. That's right. Right? The problem with that is, is there's so much to a contract that you have to consider besides just the sales the price. price that the contract was full of other garbage. So that escalation clause really meant nothing. And garbage would be, you know, concessions, mm -hmm. right? Um, and not just about money. I'm talking, you know, warrant. They want a warranty. Mm -hmm. They want closing costs. Mm -hmm. They want a really long inspection period. They're not putting hardly anything That's down in right. earnest money. They got 40 days for loan approval, right? But they give you this escalation clause, like that's all that matters, that's, that's right? diamond. You know, so for me, what I was looking for as a listing agent was uh, offers over list price mm -hmm. backed up by real dollars. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And so from when I was writing the offers, right, or when I am writing offers, you know, the appraisal is always in the back of my head. I'm c constantly talking with people. It's super easy to say, you know, I have buyers that would say, oh, it's 300, write it for 320. Well, you guys need to be prepared because I also, when I'm a buyer's agent, I'll look at it at, from a listing agent standpoint too, right? It's not going to appraise for that. Yeah. So you're, you, there's the appraisal contingency, but what are you willing to do if it appraises at 300 and yeah. the seller's not willing to go down to 300, right? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And you're going to walk away and he has to start all over. So then we started getting creative. Both of us started getting creative with the, okay, if it appraised low, the buyer's willing to pay 4,500 over appraised value, bringing to the table mm -hmm. that money, mm -hmm. but not to exceed a certain price, right. right? To keep them protected at the same time. And that was something that was creative that we weren't seeing from a lot of 
agents. Yeah. Backing it up with money actually, actually in, in earnest money, mm-hmm. right? So That's right. You mentioned 4500 so you would have that 4500 in earnest, earnest money. money. You know, in our market, if you were, I'd say 300000 or below, the, you know, people were used to seeing $1,000 yeah. in earnest money. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. I mean, if you want to be competitive, and <clears throat> in my opinion, that's one of the cheapest, easiest, safest ways to make your contract strong is to put a healthy yeah. earnest money deposit, yeah. right? Because as... as the buyer's agent, you know, as we're managing a contract under contract, it's our job to monitor those deadlines um, that are associated with that earnest money Mm -hmm. and to keep the buyer from losing it. I mean, there's ways a buyer can lose that money, but um, we don't typically let that happen, right? No. And I think if we're working with a buyer or buyers that have the money to put down, it's it's easy for us to um, I don't want to say convince, but have them put their trust in what we're saying that it is protected, right? Up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And, but when you're dealing with somebody who really only has enough money for the earnest money deposit of a thousand and then inspections and appraisal, that person in the market like this, it's very, it's going to be hard for them to find a home. Well, and unfortunately, too, it, it, circling back to that on the type of loan. Uh-huh. So another thing that we, yeah. we realized last year, prior to 2020, it was FHA loans and VA loans yeah. that had the reputation of having low appraisals. Yes. Ironically, in 2020, what were the type of loans we saw appraisals come in low? Every single one was conventional. Conventional. Every, I, I think I had three. That were all that were VA and FHA were appraising. Yep. Conventional loans were coming in low and drastically low. It was mm-hmm. amazing. It was shocking. Yeah, like thirty thousand or more. But even though we're seeing that, there's still the um, perception stigma of it. Yeah, I get it. So whenever a listing agent and a seller get multiple offers, you know, if they have four offers, one's cash, mm-hmm. one's conventional, one's FHA, and one's VA. The first thing they're going to do is toss the VA and the FHA. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at those conventional loans and the cash buyers first and foremost, yeah. right? And it's really unfortunate because just because a veteran has, you know, has earned this right to mm-hmm. have a no down payment loan right. doesn't mean that they, you know, can't successfully buy a house. You right. know, um, it's actually you know the loan. Um, criteria for a VA loan is is just as stringent pretty much as as the others you know difference would be in credit score maybe but you know it's unfortunate for our veteran buyers that we know when we write an offer for them on a multiple offer situation that they're already at a negative negative, they can offer more than the list price ask for no closing costs put extra earnest money And they'll still be at a negative simply because of their loan type. Yeah. I mean, there's a perception of, okay, well, it's a zero down payment loan, so they have no money. And, you know, even with us talking with the listing agent. They feel it's too risky. That's right. Now, um, this buyers I recently had, we wrote six offers on really nice houses. We were competitive. We didn't ask for closing costs. We put a hefty earnest money. We did do an escalation clause. You know, there's all these things that they were willing to do, and we lost every single one to cash. Yeah. There is a lot of cash flying around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And you know what? Used to, I would say, <clears throat> as the listing agent, you know, because typically when somebody offers cash, they offer less. Mm -hmm. They think because they're offering cash that they should get it for a better price than they used to. Yeah. You know, but one thing to think about if if you're a buyer's agent and you have a cash buyer, when when you're at the closing table, it doesn't matter if that money's being wired in from a lender or is coming out of somebody's briefcase at the closing That's table, true. right? Mm -hmm. So money's money at the closing table. Mm -hmm. The thing that uh, makes it most attractive, I think, is the loan approval yeah. deadline. So to be um, competitive in this market, I would recommend that you don't just definitely don't get pre-qualified. Yeah. Waste of time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Pre-approval mm -hmm. is good. Pre-underwritten. Yeah, that's gold. You know, we actually have a lender that we work with a lot who will do that. You know, you get pre-underwritten, right? You don't even have a house picked. You don't have a contract. You don't have anything, but your file goes through underwriting. And if you're pre-underwritten, you literally can close in about three weeks, yeah. right? You're really only waiting on the appraisal, right? you know, and that's another key important thing when you're being competitive. If mm -hmm. you can remove or significantly reduce that loan approval period deadline, you become a lot more competitive against cash buyers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, talking about the lender, you know, that we have, he's saved us from so many when, you know, just little bumps that another lender will say, nope, can't do it. We send it to him, goes through that pre-underwriting, mm -hmm. and it works. Yeah. Like, it's just... Shout out, Josh Goodwin. Gershwin Mortgage. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So, we, um, so, we, so we've talked about that. Competitive ways to write an offer. A, get pre-underwritten to reduce your pre-approval, uh -huh. excuse me, your loan approval period. B, you don't need 15 days for an inspection period. Nope. There's inspectors out there, even in this busy market, that can get in there pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Reduce that right to cancel period, right? Yeah. Shorten that sucker. Yep. I like seven days. Yeah. Put a hefty earnest money. You're going to get it back. It's going to apply towards your mm -hmm. loan or your closing costs in the end, right? Mm -hmm. And back that shit up. If you're going to offer more, back it up back with that up. earnest money. Back it up with real cash. Yep. List price is 300 You offer 320 You say that you will pay, if the house does not appraise for 320 you will pay up to 5000 over the appraised value with a sales price not to exceed mm -hmm. 320 What does that mean? Appraisal comes in at 310, you're paying 315. Appraisal comes in at 320, you're paying 320. Appraisal comes in at 305, you pay 310, right? But in this market, the whole idea of getting a deal and negotiating is out. The deal is you getting the house, mm -hmm. period. Yeah, I mean, in, in saving everybody wanting to save five, 6,000 because everybody likes a sale, everyone likes a deal and they wanna feel like they did something good. Like, oh, I really gave it to them. I negotiated this and we did good. And that is just not the market for that feel good. Like you want this house, then you're gonna pay for this house. Yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah, You know, cause we always have those, and I get it. Like when I was a buyer, you wanted to, oh, we need money for a fence. We need money for this. and. You know, it's just, it, it'll happen, yeah, you, yeah. you know, year by year you do little things, but in order to get the house right now, February 2nd in this market, there's not a lot of room for a sweet deal. Yeah. It's, that's the unicorn right now. Yeah. And, you know, and if you're looking at, you know, used to, we could, um, 
kind of go through expired listings yeah. Yeah. or, you know, find ones that have been on the market a really That's long right. time. Mm-hmm. And boy, they're so rare. And you know, it's ironic. A house can be on the market 300 days. Your buyer decides to write an offer and boop, all of a sudden. Two other offers. <laughs> Isn't that something? Huh. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how much that's actually happened. Well, it happens. And I actually told an agent that I wasn't born last night. And, and that sucker that. went under contract. <laughs> she wasn't lying. She, she was like, like oh, okay. <laughs> but I didn't believe her because that house had been on the market 250 days. My client had actually wrote an offer on it last Fire. year. That's right. And she said the same thing then. And it didn't go under contract. It didn't then. go under contract, you know. So, you know, what was it, 60 days later, we, mm-hmm. we, re- we submit another offer and she tells me the same thing. Oh, we just got another offer. Seller's countering both at X. Yeah. And I literally took call bullshit on her. And then it went under contract. And it went under contract. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh. But that's, you know, even realtors don't trust other realtors, no. right? No, you're right. I mean, just because all the junk that we've heard from them over the years, but... It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So um, getting that contract considered mm-hmm. is the deal, right? And, and here's the thing for me. One other thing that I would like to point out is for me, when I have a buyer, I don't just send over the contract in, in an email. I send it in an email, but then I follow it up with a phone call to the listing agent. I have a conversation. Yes. It is not just impersonal. I make it personal. I talk about the buyer. I talk about the lender. I talk about the situation. I welcome the listing agent to please call the lender. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and I find like they're more receptive to that. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's your way in to get the offer accepted. But I think having that personal conversation with the listing agent, when they go to the, the seller, they can kind of say, oh, I talked to the agent, this, 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 and this. Because yeah. I know on my most recent listing, Hound Chase, that's what I did with this girl. And the other other ones just sent it over. And when I went to call them to ask them, nobody answered the phone. Nobody responded to my text message. Nobody responded to my emails. Mm-hmm. And they were just sent out. And it was like, oh, whatever. This agent... She was very personable. She talked to me about her buyer. I spoke with her and the lender. She went to the lender's office. It was a really good experience. Yes. The offer was great. Yes. So that's another thing to do. Make it a little personal. I so agree with you because on these multiple offer situations that I dealt with, the letter from the buyer mm-hmm. really made a difference. Yeah. I have to tell you, it made a difference to me as the listing agent. I mean, I had one, Heather Court, last year. Uh-huh. We had like 35 offers, yeah. right? I mean, sort through them because I certainly wasn't presenting 35 offers to my seller. I had to weed it down. Yeah. I had to weed it down to like the top six or so. <laughs> and those letters, those personal letters to the seller, um, and many of them included pictures of yeah, the family and the dogs. And I mean, that that actually made a difference. But right back to your point, I even tell my sellers before we get any offers that A, we're not going to concentrate 100% on the offer price. Right. There's so many other things to consider. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's most important for me is the packaging of the offer. Yep. If the agent hasn't filled out the offer correctly, if they haven't submitted the addenda mm-hmm. that's attached on the MLS, yep. you know, the seller's disclosure and all yep. that, if they haven't sent the pre-approval, do I want to work with somebody like that? No. When I have the option of all these agents to work with, why would I choose the one who's sloppy, incomplete, and incompetent? Exactly. And it's because 
their buyers feel like they're doing them, they're representing them well and it, it can hurt them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm all about the personal aspect of real estate. Even when we have to deal with agents that are very unhappy and don't really want to take our phone call, yeah. it's just what we're supposed to do and hopefully get the offer accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, I would say that um, it's not a lost cause. The market is extremely, well, it's out of control. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to last. The last thing I'd want to point out is just some things that are going on with builders. Oh, yeah. In the area, right? Now, this does impact um, resale. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I've seen with a very, with a national builder, I'm not going to mention any names, but in two different instances. The first one, I have clients who want to buy an investment property. There's some new construction townhomes nearby. We did... um, a pricing analysis on them and a, and a and, you know, investment return analysis oh. on these townhomes and they are phenomenal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just wonderful. Yeah. So my clients quickly got pre-approved with the builder's lender, which is the thing. Yeah. And we were told that now we're on a waiting list. And once the property is released by the builder, whichever builder sales rep gets their client's name submitted first, first. gets the property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy right now. The the list, um, same builder down by me, the the list is so long that you're just thinking to yourself, how in the world, how how is this going to work? There's another neighborhood in Lutz, new construction. I have clients who are considering a custom build Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I turned them on to this neighborhood because it had the quality of home they like and the size of lots they like and everything. So I called the sales rep of this builder to make an appointment and he was distraught. He's like, I'm going to have to find another job because I was, (laughs) they're not making any money. Well, (laughs) what he told me was the builder put out a notice that prior day that I had this phone call and said, we are not selling anything, no dirt until September. Now think about it. These sales reps work for the builder. They make money by selling properties and he can't sell anything, anything in that whole community until September. And then those properties would be starting from scratch. So they literally wouldn't be ready and close until the following year. So the idea is, okay, why? Why is that the case? Well, my client actually drove through the neighborhood after I told them this. Right. And she's like, there's like tons of lots with sold signs on them. And I said, that's exactly what what the problem is then. Mm -hmm. They are contractually committed to building all of those homes and they can't get their supplies. Mm -hmm. They're having trouble getting roofing supplies, cabinets, appliances. They can't keep up with its demand. So now they're having to manipulate all of these things. Yeah. And then it comes back to commissions. So I'm going off on a tangent now. But builders used to be the one you can trust to always respectfully pay realtors nicely. Yes. You knew that you'd go there and they, they, they valued you. They were like, come to me. They would call you. Do you, uh, there's this new community. Do you have this? I know you had a client looking at this floor plan. Not anymore. Well, they don't want us to sell anymore because they no. can't keep up. That's so now right. their commissions are like, they, they're, they're, they're making it to where they don't want you to sell That's their properties right. because they can't sell anymore. That's right. And it's interesting you brought it up about that sales agent because that was one thing that when I was talking with another one down there, think it's different builder and she had said the same thing she's like we're basically not making money and we're all against all of our reps are against each other to get there first yeah 
Yeah, they're creating such infighting. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the sales rep I spoke to, I'm like, come to our team. He's yeah. licensed. Yeah. I'm like, come, come work on our team. You, yeah. don't, you know, can't live that way. <laughs> to do our this week's episode of that shit ain't gonna gonna work work. but I actually wasn't wasn't in the field last week right so I can't think of any shit that won't work because I wasn't in the field last week okay for personal so anyway you got you got one for us well so I have a few um yeah so I had a really nice um listing townhome it sold within i think 12 hours i got the offer what like an hour after i for 40 minutes after it launched mm-hmm. she quickly went out there to show it because um i am not a firm believer in sight unseen offers i do not like them so yeah. i prefer you to go see them before you put in the offer um and i got several other offers and i got one and this two, actually two and both those agents did not show the house. So the other agent said, okay, I'll get in there within 40, about 45 minutes, which was okay. He went to go show it. Then the other guy said, well, I write side unseen offers all the time. And this is an investor. And my response to him was that shit ain't going to work. <laughs> Cause I already expressed that it has to be, we're not accepting sight unseen. Mm-hmm. And so he said, okay. And it was about 15000 under list price. Yeah, see? So it Poor all investors. together, all together, it just didn't make sense. So that is my shit. That shit ain't going to work. That shit ain't going to work. So today we are finalizing our episode number two. Yeah. Super exciting. I hope as uh, we grow in our new podcast that we start to gain followers and you all of you are enjoying our content. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, let us know what you want to talk about. Yeah. We, we like to talk. Mm-hmm. So if you have a topic or anything mm-hmm. like that, just let us know and we'll certainly address it. Yeah. In the future, we plan to have some guests. Yes, we guests do. Guests to come in and talk because, you know, that keep us more exciting yeah than yeah. just tony and selena although we're fun all day every yeah. day <laughs> at least for 30 minutes a day <laughs> um okay so we would love for you to follow us on um facebook instagram as i like to call it the tiktok mm-hmm. and twitter we tweet so every twitter <laughs> um I don't know. I don't do that. But I do all the others, but not the Twitter. Oh, <laughs> hey, we look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. Hearing you. Oh. <laughs> Good. <laughs>